You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning. You can be seated. Good morning to the 840 gathering. We begin a brand new series today called Resurrected. And this series is just a preparation of our hearts for the cross and for the resurrection of uh, the next couple of weeks here at Highland. We'll keep our hearts focused on the, the reason that Christ came, what he accomplished in his cross and his resurrection, what that means for our lives today. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, Isaiah chapter 53. So if you don't mind taking some time and finding that book and that chapter with me, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. If you can find the book of Psalms there in the, in the middle, Go about four books or so to the right. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. And Isaiah is a pretty hefty book, 66 chapters in there. And let's go to the 53rd chapter together. This chapter is really the, the crown jewel of the Old Testament. In fact, some have said there's not a more important chapter in the Old Testament than this for the New Testament church today. And this chapter speaks so specifically about Jesus and the cross that back in the 1800s, um, a lot of European kind of unhinged theologians said that there's no way that this could have been written before the time of, of Christ. And that thought was beginning to gain some traction until 1947, when in Judea, a 14-year-old boy was doing what a 14-year-old boy does. He was throwing rocks into a cave and, and a jar shattered in that cave. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And inside of those Dead Sea Scrolls was found the 53rd chapter of Isaiah that was copied on a scroll at least 200, maybe 300 years, even before the coming of Christ. So Isaiah 53 is such a powerful passage for us. If you're in Isaiah 53, would you say, I am? I am. Okay, good. Go back to Isaiah 52, because we're going to actually start there together. (laughs) Isaiah 52 and we'll get a running start into Isaiah 53. And what I want you to see today is, is really a gruesome, yet glorious picture of the cross that Isaiah wrote 750 years before the coming of Christ. We'll see some verses in this passage in the next chapter that have very vivid descriptions of God's wrath, God's justice. We'll also see some verses here today. There's some of those beautiful pictures and descriptions and displays of God's love and his mercy. There are times in these coming verses where we'll be stunned by the fury of God. And other times we'll be silenced by his love. So let me warn you, we're going to take the floaties off and go diving deep today. The next 29 minutes or so are not for the weak, not for the faint of heart or the shallow of mind. Isaiah 52, the beginning of verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Uh, Verse 13, my servant is referencing Jesus. 
the Messiah, the coming one, the, the promised one. We know this because Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 are requoted eight different times in the New Testament. And all times those are requoted, it is always depicting or referring to Jesus. We see two descriptors here, if you will, in these two passages in Isaiah 52 about who this servant is. This servant is, first of all, divine. I mean, he is God. Look at verse 13, the description. My, my servant will act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted, high and lifted up. That, that is a reference or a descriptor reserved for a king. It is used four times in the book of Isaiah. And every time that descriptor, high and lifted up, is used in the book of Isaiah outside of chapter 52, it is always referring to God, describing God's position. Position here is describing the servant's position. This servant's going to be high and lifted up. He is wise. Your translation might say that he has great understanding. He is exalted, another word that is reserved for a king. So this servant is God. The servant is divine. But also see, verse 14 especially, this servant is suffering. Verse 14, he was, he was marred. He was disfigured. So much so that he did not even look like a man. Did not even look like a human. And just a reminder today, the cross. And then all the beatings, the lashings, the, the strikes on Jesus certainly accomplished this disfiguring. If you're note-taking today, prepping your heart for Easter, you can write this out. He will be savaged, but he will save. Jesus will be disfigured, but he will deliver us. Verse 15 of that 30, uh, 52nd chapter is a, is a really interesting phrase. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Kings will be silenced because of him. Uh, they can only do that when they're in the presence of someone greater than they. The only time a king is quiet is when a greater king enters in. He will, verse 15, he will sprinkle many nations. This is a picture of the Old Testament system of, of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the blood of a sacrifice would be sprinkled over the Ark of the Covenant. It'd be sprinkled over the, the Bema seat. It'd be sprinkled over the seat of mercy within the, 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 the presence of God. And that blood would be spilled so that the blood on the altar would would bring forgiveness to the people of God. So Isaiah is saying here that the blood of this servant will be sprinkled over all the nations. In fact, Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 15 as he's talking about Christ, his offering, and Christ, his blood, being a, a sacrifice for all nations, for all tribes, for all people everywhere. In the last part of verse 15, in chapter 52 so that he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. This is a reference to Gentiles. Those outside of the Jewish nation, they will see this Christ. They will understand what this Christ has done. Yes, Christ will be savaged on the cross, but Christ will come to save us through his cross. Highland, this servant should not be pitied. This servant should be worshipped by the church today. Isaiah 53, verse 1, begins with some rhetorical questions here. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The, the arm of the Lord is the power of the Lord, and this power is, is revealed. In other words, it is uncovered personally up close in this servant Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he, this servant, 
Christ. He grew up before him, before God, like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Here's the second thing you can write down if you're prepping for for Easter, prepping your heart for this season. Jesus willingly embraced a human frame with all of its limitations. Jesus volunteered. He stepped out of heaven and he embraced. He entered into our own human frame, even though our human frame has all of these limitations. Uh, We see that this servant does not bust onto the scene like a mighty oak. He does not arrive on earth like a beautiful tree and in full blossom. Instead, the servant comes on the scene, verse 2, like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. That has to remind us, Highland, of, of, of a servant, a son that comes into a stable in a manger where a little baby boy is born in total obscurity. Just like a root out of dry ground. He had, verse 2, no form or no majesty to him that we should want to look at him and no beauty that we should even desire him. No, this servant would be, verse three, despised. This servant would be, verse three, rejected. He would be a man of sorrows who is acquainted. He, 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 he understands grief fully. One from whom we even hide our faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, Christ comes and we did not treasure him. Do you see the humility of Jesus here? Do you see the arrogance of mankind here? We wanted, we wanted nothing to do with him whatsoever. In, in a world where we live today that's so blinded by, by self-centeredness, by, by power, by pride, Jesus didn't even get a second glance from us. Now let's go to the pinnacle of this passage. It really is the mountaintop of the Old Testament in my opinion. Isaiah 52, begin in verse 4. We'll read verse 4, 5, and 6. 53, excuse me, 4, 5, and 6. Surely he, this Christ, this promised one, has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. We, We considered him just smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced For our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on this servant, on his son, the iniquity of us all. It's the third thing I want you to see from this passage today. Christ is carried to death so we can be carried to life. In Hebrews, toward the very end of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, we have a really interesting picture of of the crucifixion of Christ. In the Gospels, you see much more of the the, the narrative of of how it played out, the who was there, what was happening, uh, why these things happened, the, the people around the narrative. When you get to the book of Hebrews, you see the deeper purpose of the cross, the deeper things that were happening that could not be seen even perhaps with, with the human eye. In Hebrews chapter 13, it's in verse 12, it says that, that Christ was carried outside of the city gate. 
he was taken outside of, of the city to be crucified away from the crowds, uh, away from the busyness of the city. He was carried outside. He was taken outside of the city so that we might be made holy. That, that was the purpose of, of the cross. Christ was carried to death that we could be carried to life. He was carried outside of the city limits to, to be crucified, that we might become holy women and holy men. So here's the first thing I want you to see. He will take the penalty of sin. Well, when Christ is carried to death and his, he's put up on his cross and he's taken outside of the city to be crucified, he is taking on the penalty of sin. This is why it says in verse four, he will be stricken. Verse four, he will be afflicted. Verse 5, he'll be pierced, a picture of, of the nails going through his hands and through his feet. He'll be pierced, he'll be crushed, he will be wounded. He will carry the penalty of our sin. But it's deeper than that. We can't just stop there. We will miss the point of Isaiah 53 if we just stop right here. We will miss the point of the cross if we just stop right here. He will not just take the penalty of sin. Listen, secondly, he will take the place of sinners. Look how many times our pronouns are used here, if you will. Look how many times the plural pronouns are used in verses 4, verses 5, and verses 6. And they're speaking of us. Just start back at verse 4 again. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. Yes, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Eleven times in those three verses. Isaiah is reminding us over and over again that Jesus is doing this for us. The Lamb of God in our place. Jesus bearing our sin. Jesus bearing our shame. So he's enduring, verse 5, our crushing. He's enduring, verse 5, our chastisement, our wounds so important for this Easter season. He's not just taking the penalty of sin. He is taking our place. That's not Jesus's cross. That's my cross. That's not Jesus's cross. That's your cross. And he's hanging on it. Melito of Sardis was a guy that was actually just born 60 years after the resurrection. He became a church leader there in Sardis and he wrote these words. You see it on the screen behind me. He who hung the earth is hanging. He who fixed the heavens has been fixed onto a cross. He who fastened the universe has been fastened to a tree. The sovereign one has been made unrecognizable in a broken human body and is not even allowed a garment to keep him from our view. That is why the lights of heaven turned away and the day was darkened. This Christ, this suffering servant, will suffer in silence. Pick it back up, Isaiah 53. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and 
he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. A reminder in this passage, Highland, that Jesus had no sin in him that required such suffering. The next thing you can write down in the margins of your Bible is that the innocent was buried in the earth so that the guilty could be raised to heaven. Every action Jesus takes in that last week of his life causes an opposite reaction in us. Everything that Christ did in that last week of his life has direct impact spiritually upon the people of God, even today, 2,000 years later. We see it right here. Christ, the innocent, was buried in the earth. Why was that? So that you and I, the guilty, we could find new life. We could be raised to heaven. He made his grave, we see here, with the wicked. He was, he was a lamb that was just walking toward his own slaughter, a sheep standing before his shears. He was stunningly quiet as he encountered death and was placed in the borrowed tomb of a rich man. He had to be lowered so we could be raised. He had to be struck down so that we could be lifted. He died so that we could live. Isaiah 53, pick it up in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, God, has put him, the son, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted. Praise the Lord, this is us, righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Something fascinating, especially in verse 10. I don't think it bothered the church for the first 1900 years after the resurrection. But verse 10 bothers the church today. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It is God who has put his son to grief. Here's what I wrote in my notes this week that I'll just pass along to you. Christ on the cross was not a human strategy. It was God's divine plan. Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Christ? Who is responsible for the orchestrating of the death of Jesus? The Jews? The Romans? No. It was the Father who, verse 10, willed it. It was God, verse 11, who will be satisfied in the sacrifice of his son. 
how can it be that God would forever find satisfaction in the crushing of the sun? Just think about this. God is infinitely holy and he's forever glorious. He is perfect in his justice, which means that sin inflames the wrath of God. I mean, injustice inflames us. And we're imperfect people. We're inflamed over what's happening in in the Ukraine. We get inflamed over, over racism. We get inflamed over injustice. Just think how much more God's wrath is built up when a just God sees injustice. It would be impossible for God in all of his glory to say to our sin, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just look past it. That would compromise the very essence of what it means to be God. It would compromise the very glory of what it means to be God. So how can God be infinitely just and also save sinners like us? The answer is in the crushing of his son, Jesus. Because in the crushing of the servant, God will display the full extent of his justice, but also the full expression of his grace and his love towards you. He will do all of this in love for sinners and in mercy toward people just like us today. God is serious about shattering sin and serious about saving sinners. He is serious about his mercy toward you. He is serious about his love toward you. God is serious about his grace toward the least deserving. And that is us. That is me. God is not some out of control tyrant. He is absolutely consistent in all of his attributes. He is a glorious God who desires a relationship with us and a just God who also, listen, condemns our sin. Neither his glory nor his grace is compromised or diminished at all at the cross. In fact, it is at the cross where the grace of God, the justice of God fully are demonstrated. And in his death, Jesus becomes, verse 10, an offering, a laid out sacrifice, an offering for who? Verse 10, for his offspring, for his spiritual family. And Christian, that that is you. Jesus gives new life to women and men from every tribe and, and every tongue and every people and every nation and every people group and every color who then become the children of God. God came for all who would repent and believe. So what does this mean? That's higher level pictures of the cross. But what does it mean for you on a Monday morning? My dad was a pastor in this city for 32 years. In fact, he's 80, still preaching today. I moved here nine years ago. My mom and dad said, we'll come here. You preach every Sunday at Highland when we're not preaching somewhere else. And I think I've seen them nine times in, in, in nine years. Dad's a faithful, faithful man, a faithful preacher. And he would tell me often, still does tell me, probably just a few weeks ago, John, a Sunday morning sermon ain't that great if it doesn't make a difference on Monday morning. So let me give you some Monday morning stuff to think about for a second. This is the power of the cross. This is where the cross intersects our lives in 2022. Here it is. God accepts unacceptable people. God brings inside those who are on the outside through the cross. Through the blood, you may be here today, you may be watching online today thinking, I am completely unacceptable in the presence of God. I have done so many things, addicted to this for so long. I have broken so many times the law, so many times the heart of God. I've broken the heart and the trust of other people. 
got great news for you today. This is the power of the cross. God will bring inside those who were on the outside. God loves unacceptable people. Secondly, what's the power of the cross? God lifts up shameful people. He will lift you up. If you're here today overwhelmed with guilt over the things that you have done, and the charge of guilt on your life is actually accurate, Jesus loves to lift us out of the miry clay and put our feet upon the rock. Christ is the rock. This is the power of the cross. God lifts up shameful people. No matter what you have done in your past, no matter how far away you think you are from God, God's arm is long enough to save. If you feel like you're outrunning him, God's fast. Oh, his grace, his mercy, his love will pursue you. This is the power of the cross. Here's the third practical application for that. God adopts rebels as royalty. He loves to bring in his sons and his daughters. He adopts sinners as his own. Those who believe upon Christ and believe upon this sacrifice, he doesn't just forgive us. Oh, that would be enough. And I feel like I say this five times a year at Highland, so I'm going to say it one more time. It would be enough if Christ simply, merely forgave us. We would shout for all of eternity that our sins have been forgiven, but that's not where God stopped. God continued not only to forgive us our sin, but then to say, I will bring you into my family. We're adopted as sons and daughters. Even though we were rebels, he has brought us into his family as royal daughters and royal sons. Fourthly, lastly, God declares the guilty innocent. That's the power of the cross for you today, for you on a Monday morning. Only God can charge us as guilty and only God can charge us as innocent. And all who surrender all here today who repent, who turn away from your old life and believe by faith on Christ, you're called innocent. You're called forgiven. No matter what you have done in your past, there is no sin so great that God's grace is not greater still. And think of this. The holy God of the universe looks across this room and looks across Waco and looks across this world and he says, I love guilty people. Believe in me. Place all of your guilt onto Christ. And instead of guilt, I will give you his right standing. And Christian sister in this room, Christian brother in this room, do not live another moment under the guilt of your sin. Don't live another moment under the shame of your past. It has been taken away. Your debt has been paid. Oh, Christian, this cross is worth remembering. As we prepare our hearts for a day in two weeks of celebration of the resurrection, the true event that Christ conquered death first, we need to remember why he came. That it was God's divine plan that his son, his servant, would come and die that we might live. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage in Isaiah, just a reminder of why Christ came, that this man of sorrow, this son of man coming to to bring us life would be lowered into the earth, that we could be raised into heaven, would be taken down, that we might be lifted up. 
This is the power of the cross for us today that God, you accept into your family unacceptable people through the cross, through the blood. You lift up shameful people. You adopt rebels as, as actual royalty. You declare the guilty innocent. Father, this is the story that just never grows old. We're not going to get over this. That you loved us enough in our sin, in our grossness, in our rebellion, in our shame, in our addictions, our self-centeredness, our arrogance, our pride. And you pursued us through the sacrifice. You pursued us through the giving of your servant, this Christ. God, we are grateful now. We are grateful forevermore. In Christ we pray. Amen. Got a challenge for you before we sing this last song. If you can cheer on a Saturday night, Final Four, passing glory, how much more can we as God's saints on a Sunday Rejoice and cheer on a glory that will last forever. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.